What's up? Welcome to Bow Down, the teaching ministry of Pastor Chris Tress. So here we are. We are in a pause in the book of Revelation where the chapter 11, the two witnesses were doing their thing, and then there is a pause where God is about to pour out the bold judgments, the final judgments on the earth, and we are in a place of pause. And in this place, Ronnie, those are my favorite J's, man. How are you going to do that to me? I'm going to be completely, anyway. Wanted those when I was in high school, couldn't afford them. But anyway, help me, God. Go sit in the back, man. I'm coveting right now. I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding, bro. So we're in this pause right now. In chapter 14, what chapter 14 is, it's, it's an overview of what's going to take place in chapter 15, 16, 17, 18, and 19. It is going to give us a, a preview, a 30,000-foot view of the battle of Armageddon, but also the harvest of the bold judgments. So that's what this is, and we need to pray today because this is hard for us as mere humans to really grasp. In fact, in our own mind, we try to reason things, and we have to be very careful that we don't lean on our own understanding. And so... Revelation 14.6, I saw another angel that could also be translated messenger flying directly overhead with an eternal gospel. I want you to highlight that, an eternal gospel to proclaim to those who dwell on the earth. In the midst of this seven-year tribulation period, there is going to be an angel flying overhead proclaiming an eternal gospel. Now, some of you... Just go like this, Phew. it all doesn't depend on me. Even if you and I fail in our gospel proclamation, God's got a plan. You're not off the hook, though. You got to preach it. But understand God has a plan. He's going to proclaim this eternal gospel to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, every tribe, every language, and every people. Verse 7, and he said with a loud voice, and you want to highlight this because this is the eternal gospel. What is the gospel? How do we define it? Well, here's a great definition. Fear God and give him glory because the hour of his judgment has come. And worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea, and the springs of water. I don't know about you, but I rarely hear gospel presentations like that. Can I get a witness? Most of the time, it's like a begging and a pleading. Please, won't you give your life to Jesus? He's going to make your life better. He has a purpose and a plan for your life. And before knowing it, and some of that's true, but before knowing it, we can shift to make the gospel all man-centered and we forget about God. So the gospel is all to you and your needs and what God's going to do for you. And let me just say, 
Fear God and worship him. It's not about you. He's worthy. He is worthy. And we need to cry out in our hearts for a greater fear and reverence of God so that we worship God and give him what he deserves because the gospel is not about us. It's about him, his grace, and his love for mankind. He did it. He deserves it. Worthy is the lamb. We are not worthy. We deserve wrath. Because we've sinned and rebelled against the holy God. He alone is worthy. I want you to listen here, and you could just jot this down. Paul preached the same kind of gospel in Acts chapter 17, verse 30 and 31. Just, just write that down. Listen to what Paul says. He's preaching to a group of people in a Greek culture, and he looks at their gods, and he, he doesn't embrace their culture, but he exposes their culture for the foolishness that it was. And listen to what he says to them. Actually, go ahead and turn there. Again, this is the gospel. This is the eternal gospel, but this is the gospel that's never preached. Does God love you? Does he have a plan and purpose for your life? Yes, that's why he died on the cross. But listen, sometimes we can water things down so much. So Paul is saying to this community, the times of ignorance God has overlooked. Your culture with all of its idols, completely ignorant. If he came into America, he would look at a lot of our idols and he would say completely ignorant. And God's overlooked that ignorance. But now, 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 when was now? That was 2,000 years ago. This is the eternal gospel that has not changed. But now he commands every people, all people everywhere to repent. Because he's fixed the day which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man he has appointed And of this, he's given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Wow. Christ came. He was killed on that cross. He was killed by man because he was truth. He was righteousness. He was holy. But people loved darkness. They didn't want him, so they killed him. He died on that cross, not for himself, but to take our sins upon himself. It's because of my sins that that, that killed him, that put him there. My rebellious activity put him there. But he didn't stay in the grave. He rose again on the third day. He came the first time as a suffering servant. He came as a first time to seek and save the lost. But when he comes back again the second time, he's not coming back in a manger like a baby anymore. He's coming back to judge the living and the dead. And God has overlooked our ignorance. And now he commands everyone everywhere to repent because he will be a righteous judge giving people what they deserve. And if you do not follow the Lamb, if you have not surrendered your life to the Savior of the world, guess what? 
If he didn't spare his own son, what do you think he's going to do to you? Chris, we're full today. Next week, we won't be full. Look what you keep doing. Hey, listen. I want heaven full. And I'm concerned. Listen. There is a wide road that a lot of people are on, Jesus warned, and it leads to destruction. But there's this narrow road, and the way is hard, and it leads to life. And only a few, only a few find it. And so we preach this eternal gospel of God commanding everyone everywhere to repent, to fear God, and worship him. And when we understand that, man, apart from his grace, I can't do it, it causes us to bow down and get low and cry out, God, have mercy, because I love myself more than I love you. Save me. I want you to turn back to Revelation 14, and I want you to understand something. Actually, let's go to 16, Revelation 16, 8, please. So again, Revelation 14 is a preview. It's a preview of what is about to happen. And in the midst of the bold judgments, look at this. The fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, and it was allowed to scorch people with fire. Global warming's finally going to come true right here. They were scorched by the fierce heat, and they curse the name of God who had power over these plagues, and they did not repent and give him glory. They cursed God. How rebellious are these people's hearts? They even knew where it was coming from. How do we know that? Revelation chapter 6, who can save us from the wrath of the Lamb? The whole world is crying out. And then in Revelation 14, this gospel's preaching, hey, worship God, fear God, give him glory. And here in 16, they still will not bow down. They still will not surrender. They still will not repent of their wickedness. And we don't have to look at this to know and understand When we look in the mirror, we see the same thing. There is rebellion in our heart and wickedness in our heart because we want to do what we want to do. We want to live how we want to live. Back to Revelation 14. And this is the grace of God, even though it doesn't sound like grace. It is grace. Grace is means it's a warning. It's so loving to warn. It's so loving as a parent. Hey, let me teach you. Don't just run out in the road. You got to look both ways. And if you do it again, you're going to get a spanking. If there's no consequences, is that parent just loving? Oh, it's okay, Johnny. You go play in the road if that's what you want to do. <laughs> and so we have a distorted view of grace and love in our nation and in our churches. And this is going to help you and I get our mind right. Revelation 14, 8. 
Another angel, a second followed, saying, Fallen, fallen, Babylon. Now, if you want to just mark here, this is a preview of chapter 16 through 18 of the book of Revelation, where Babylon is going to fall. Babylon the great, she who made all the nations drink the wine of passion. That word passion in the Greek is a strong, consuming, lustful desire. Strong, consuming, lustful desire of her sexual immorality. Ladies, this is why it's important how you dress. You don't. You don't want to cause your brothers to fall into sexual immorality by how you are are carrying yourself. That's why, you know, one of the things pre, you know, B.C., before Chris. (laughs) I was friends with my wife. And I and I'll never forget this. And I'm. I'm looking at her, and I'm like, hey, um, them pants, them, 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 those are called come and get me's, okay? Now, I'm trying to, trying to look up right now, because if some of y'all have a fit on, just go talk to an older saint and say, hey, I need you to help me get my, get my fit right. Now, listen, she was wearing what I call come and get me's. And I went up to Colleen, my queen, and I said, hey, babe, listen. I didn't say, hey, babe. I said, hey, Colleen. Can I speak into your life? She's like, yeah. And I said, your pants are causing all these dudes to stumble here. What? Are you kidding me? I didn't know. See, most girls are clueless, and that's, that's not an intention. Let, let me, can I retract that statement? <laughs> Let me just back up real quick. Forgive me, Lord. Hey, delete that from the the sermon archive. (laughs) Most of the time, females are clueless when it comes to their clothing and what it does to men. There's a reason why Eve sinned and Adam knew what was going on and he went right along with with it because she was naked. Another joke, probably bad joke. But anyway, it's a serious thing. Here, here, here's the thing. This is, this is what this means. And this is, by the way, this is not in my notes. So I just want to lovingly challenge the ladies in here. Do not get your fashion from the world. Make sure, 1 Peter 3, the modest apparel, modest. So here, this Babylon falls. Babylon represents the world system. We're coming into a time of a one world government that's going to happen. Also, Babel started... In the Tower of Babel in Genesis 10, when Nimrod set up this first community that was a precursor to an antichrist system. And it's going to happen again as we come near to the end. Nimrod was proud and powerful, 
He was a God-rejecting ruler, a type of antichrist. And so Babylon is a system that's purely focused on fulfilling people's own longings. How, how long does it take for us in the political arena to understand these politicians that come in and promise this and promise this and promise this, what are they doing? Like, when is somebody going to say, a leader, hey, look, we are trillions of dollars in debt. You are ruining your children and your grandchildren. And so we're going to pull back, and I need you to give more millennials, boomers, so that the younger generation doesn't have to deal with this debt. And it's going to get really, really hard for you, and you need to sacrifice, and, and, and a lot. you're going to have to suffer so we can pull ourselves out of this debt. Do you think you're ever going to hear that? But guess what that is? That's the truth. That's the truth. And, and, and what's being proclaimed? What's being proclaimed is, I want to tell you what you want to hear so you'll vote for me. This is an antichrist system where people are set on satisfying their passionate lusts, and it is going to fall. I want you to turn to Isaiah 13, please, and I want you to keep your place here because one of the, one of the reasons why the Bible is the word of God and we can trust it is because it has all of these prophecies that have come true. And so I'm going to take you to two of them that were written over uh, a thousand years before Christ came. We'll say 500 to a thousand years before Christ was born. And so here it is, Isaiah 13, 19, it says this, and Babylon, the glory of the kingdoms, the splendor and pomp of the Chaldeans will be like Sodom and Gomorrah when God overthrew them. It will never be inhabited or lived in for all generations. No Arab will pitch his tent there. No shepherd will make their flocks lie down there. I want you to understand, in the 90s, Sodom Hussein tried to build back Babylon. Things didn't go well for him. It didn't happen. This is a 3,000-year-old prophecy that's still true to this day. Here's another one. I want you to turn to Ezekiel 29. In context here, Pharaoh, he is full of pride. He says, the Nile is mine. Egypt was the greatest superpower of all times, being in charge and control for a few thousand years. Listen, it has just been 250 years that our nation's been in existence, if you will, right? It's roughly around that. But here is Egypt with the pyramids and all of this stuff. And the, the pharaohs, they were prideful. They were arrogant. They were proud. I did this. I built this. I'm stacking this. I'm, right? And look at what God says. Ezekiel 29, 14, I will restore the fortunes of Egypt and I will bring them back to the land of Pathros, the land of their origin. So, so earlier on, you can read it. He, God judges them. He's going to bring them back. But listen to what he says. 
and there they shall be a lowly kingdom. It shall be the most lowly of the kingdoms, and never again exalt itself above the nations. This is a 3,000-year-old prophecy in the Bible, and when you go to Egypt, why do you go there? To visit what was? The pyramids. A few years ago, when, when studying this, the average salary in Egypt was somewhere around $6,000 per person. Poor, low, low. I will make them so small that they will never again rule over the nations, and it shall never, be, never again be the reliance of the house of Israel, recalling their iniquity when they turn to them for aid, for they will know that I am the Lord. Revelation, back to Revelation 14, please. So it's another Bible prophecy that's come true. Israel has had 3,000 years to get its stuff right. They never will get their stuff right. Why? Because God has judged them. Man, what kind of book can do that? What kind of God can say that? Same thing for Babylon. And this is why we need to humble down in our nation, which I believe we may be under judgment right now as a nation. Babylon, the, Chal the Chal Chaldeans, and Egypt ruled the world. They weren't just a nation, like many other nations. They ruled the world, and God took them down. This is his word. No matter what system you think is going to save you, whatever world system that people are pitching, understand the Babylonian system, it will fall. This is what God says. So my hope is not in systems. My hope is in the gospel. It's in the gospel. And it's important we think like that because there's always going to be somebody that's coming with a better system. Broken people will always create broken systems. But if you don't believe that, you're going to think, oh, man, this system, this is, this is really going to change. No, it won't, because there'll be sinful people running it. And ultimately, ultimately, Babylon will fall. The world system is going to fall. This is what God is declaring. All right, verse 9, Revelation 14. And another angel, a third, followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and its image and receives the mark on his forehead or on his hand, he also will drink the wine of God's wrath, poured full strength into the cup of his anger, and he will be tormented. Above the word tormented, I want you to put Luke 16, 22 through 24. And I'm going to read that to you because this word is really important for us to grasp. The word tormented in the verb form, it means this, ceaseless, Infliction of unbearable pain. Unbearable, ceaseless pain. The grace is the warning. Don't take the mark. Don't worship the beast. That's the grace. That's the warning. 
So we've had these angels saying, don't trust the system. Here's the eternal gospel. Now the warning is, don't take that mark. Because if you do, this is going to happen to you. How loving is that? It's so loving. It's so graceful. This is the verb form of this Greek word, but the noun form is used in Luke 16, through 24. That's why I had you write it above this verse. Listen to this. Just listen. The rich man also died and he was buried in Hades, being in torment. There's the noun form. He lifted up his eyes and he saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy upon me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water just to cool my tongue. For I am in anguish in this flame, constant anguish, constant torment. This is hell. And Jesus is giving this parable in Luke chapter 16, 22 through 24. You can read it at your own time. So let's go back to Revelation 14. Listen, verse 10. He will drink the wine of God's wrath, poured out full strength into the cup of his anger, and he will be tormented with the fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the lamb. This is the last call. This is the last warning. This is more grace. The gospel was given. Babylon will fall. You better not take that mark. This is grace. This is warning. I want you to keep your place here and turn to Psalm 75. There is a cup that is filling up of wrath that will be poured out. Some of you have been dealt harsh injustices in your life, and you haven't got justice. You haven't received justice. People got away from that. There's somebody out there that stole my bike when I was like nine years old. God's going to get them someday. I pray for them, God, that they'll come to you. How many of us? Like if, if I say, raise your hand, if, if somebody did something unjust to you, but they got away, go ahead and just lift up your hands, right? Some of you aren't even listening right now because everybody in the room has been through that. Everybody. This world is an unjust place. Understand from God's perspective, he's keeping track. There's not a sparrow that falls to the ground with him without him knowing and that's why when, when, when I'm attacked from enemies that, that do not like me, there is a fear of the Lord for them, like a compassion, like, man, oh, man, they better not touch God's favorite son, which is me, by the way. <laughs> they, don't, they don't realize who they're touching. I'm an apple of his eye. He loves me. You parents know somebody touches your kids, especially the mama bears in the house. Can I get a shout out? Yeah. And so Psalm 75, verse six, listen. For not from the east or from the west and not from the wilderness comes lifting up. Psalm 75, seven. But it is God who executes judgment putting down one and lifting another 
And this is verse 8. I want you to highlight this. For in the hand of the Lord, there is a cup of foaming wine. You can put Revelation chapter 14, right? Chapter 14, verse 10, because we see this cup of mixed wine there. Well mixed, he pours out from it, and all the wicked of the earth shall drain it down into the dregs. So God, he is not going to come with erratic judgment. He's not going to be impulsive. It's not going to be just this quick temper and explosion. But there is a cup that has been brewing for a long time that will one day be poured out on those who reject his son, who take the mark and worship the beast. I want you to turn back a little bit more to Psalm chapter 2. And while you're turning to Psalm chapter 2, so that you can have an understanding of the wrath of God and how perfect it is, Jesus, in Luke 11, he talks about this, that the blood of the prophets shed from the foundation of the world may be charged against this generation from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah who perished between the altar and the sanctuary. Yes, I tell you, it will be required of this generation. So Jesus was talking to his people that he came to save, and he says that God's been filling up wrath that's going to be poured out on you, and in 70 AD, it did happen when Titus came in and millions were killed. God's wrath was poured out on that generation, but there was a cup that was being saved up. Jesus says that in Luke 11. Also in Genesis, if we remember, where is it? Uh, 15 verse 16, God is saying to Abraham, your descendants will be enslaved for 400 years. 400 years. Until... The iniquity of the Amorites is complete. The Amorites, you know, some people look at the Old Testament, they're like, man, the God of the Old Testament is different from the God of the New Testament. Again, that's human reasoning. You don't understand. The cups that are being filled. The Amorites, they were murdering babies. They were murdering people. They were doing just wicked, wicked things. And God was saying, I'm keeping my people in Egypt for 400 years because I'm going to one day judge the Amorites completely and what they are doing, the wrath that they are building up will be poured out on them. God is measured and perfect in his wrath. When we look at the cross, Psalm 53, verse 10, it says, it pleased God to crush his own son. The wrath of God was poured out on the Lamb of God to take away our sins. And if you have not surrendered to the Lamb of God, Jesus, then you have nothing to take away your sins. You are dead in your sins. Psalm 2. I told you last week to go read Psalm 2. Because in Revelation 14, it talked about Mount Zion and the 144,000 were with the lamb on Mount Zion. And so Psalm 2 was where I told you to go because this is Revelation 14 
where Jesus is on Mount Zion. It's also Revelation 19 where he's ruling with a rod of iron. This is a certain dispensation. This is the king who reigns right here. And so Psalm chapter 2, it's a messianic song written a thousand years before Christ came. And it's pointing to Revelation chapter 19. As for me, I've set my king, my king on Zion, my holy hill. Revelation 14.1, you can write it there so you can go back and forth with your reference. I will tell the decree the Lord said to me, you are my son, today I've begotten you. Who's the only begotten son? Jesus. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage, the ends of the earth your possessions. Has that happened yet? No, but it will happen, and that's why Revelation's important to understand that. Verse 9, you will break them with a rod of iron. Again, you can write Revelation chapter 19 because it says in Revelation 19 that he's going to break his enemies with a rod of iron like pieces of clay that are going to be smashed. Verse 10, therefore, O kings, be wise and be warned. Again, grace. God is love. Love is warning. Serve the Lord with fear, rejoice with trembling, kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Listen, it was speaking of these chapters, Revelation 14 through 19, that his wrath, which has been this cup building up, building up, building up, building up, there is a quickness here that his wrath is going to be quickly kindled. It's been so patient for thousands of years. But no longer here, it's quickly kindled, and it's going to be poured out. Blessed are those who take refuge in him. Man. Verse 11. And the smoke of their torment. Revelation 14, 11, Goes up forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night. You might want to highlight that, because again, it's talking about hell. These worshipers of the beast and its image, and whoever sees the mark in its name. This warning is just grace again. See, these people here that are going to take the mark of the beast, they're probably going to be mocking the believers of that day, having access to food and medicine, media. They're probably going to be joining in the persecution of the believers at this time, the ones who would not take the mark. They may even be cheering because... The believers are being executed, watching them starve because they have no access for food. But yet here, God is warning, wanting them, don't you take that mark. Their smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever, and they have no rest. Here's the problem with the church today. See, I'm, I'm, I'm <clears throat> Chris, you're like a hell, fire, and brimstone preacher. Listen. No, I, I'm a Jesus preacher. I'm a Jesus preacher. Chris, will you just preach Jesus, the Lamb of God, full of gentleness and mercy and loneliness? Yeah, I am preaching him. I am preaching him. And I want us to be people that are familiar with his words and familiar with his mindset and the reality that he proclaimed. Because, listen, I don't need to preach hell to the world. I've got to preach hell to you in here 
and to myself so that I begin to believe it and you begin to believe it. And there is a breaking forth of a weeping and a sorrow for those who are going to go here. I want you to turn to Matthew 5, 22, please. And we're going to run through Matthew. Lord, help me not to do any commentary. (laughs) One of the great theologians of our time, R.C. Sproul. Although I don't agree with everything, so. He was asked which doctrine he struggles with the most, and he replied, hell. How many of us can say that today, honestly? Yeah, that's a, this, hell, this is hard to get our minds around because of human reasoning. And so it's okay that you struggle with this concept But you need to, and I need to, meditate on what this says because this is reality, whether we want to believe it or not. Whether we want to just move off and can't we just talk about heaven? Listen to Jesus, Matthew 5, 22. But I say to you, everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says you fool will be liable to hellfire. Jesus is saying the words of your mouth put you in danger of hell. Jesus, the Lamb of God. Jesus, the loving Savior. Let's go to Matthew 5, 29. And by the way, I would highlight these if you feel led to do so. Because again, this is Jesus talking in the book of Matthew. And we're not even going to go to Luke um, or Mark or any other places. We're just going to hang in Matthew. Matthew 29, 30, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away, for it's better that you lose one of your members than your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away, for it's better that you lose one of your members than your whole body go to hell. Wow. You think that little porn addiction is not a big deal? Well, you're not viewing it like Jesus views it. Matthew 10, 15. Truly I say to you, it's going to be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. Wow. We know what happened to Sodom and Gomorrah. Matthew 10, 28, please. Matthew 10, 28. And do not fear those who can kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Who is that? That's God. This is why we don't fear man, we fear God. Man can't send you to hell, but God can. Matthew eleven twenty. Matthew 11, verse 20. And he began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works have been done because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment than for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, you, 
Will you be exalted to heaven? You will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have been rained until this day. But I tell you that it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment than for the land of Sodom than for you. So here's a thing on hell and punishment and judgment and justice. There are certain levels. What about that nice teacher that didn't know Jesus? And what about Hitler? There's different levels of punishment in hell. And by the way, there is no nice teacher. And we'll get into that here. Matthew 13, 49. So it will be at the end of the age, the angels will come and separate the evil from the righteous. And by the way, you can put Revelation chapter 14 because we're seeing that played out. And they will, they will throw them into the fiery furnace in that place where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Constant weeping, constant gnashing of teeth. Matthew 23, 33. You serpents, you brood of vipers, how are you to escape being sentenced to hell? Wow, heavy. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Matthew 25, 41. Then he will say to those on his left, depart me, depart from me, you cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Hell was not prepared for you. It was prepared for the devil and his angels, but you choose to go there when you reject Christ. Matthew 25, 46, and these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Listen, church, this is where This is why I prayed what I prayed in the beginning. It's so hard for us to believe, but understand, Jesus doesn't just reference hell. He describes it in great detail. He says it's a place of outer darkness, eternal torment, unquenchable fire, a place where the worm does not die, where people will gnash their teeth in anguish and regret, and from which there is no return not even to warn our loved ones. If we don't accept the reality of hell, we do not truly understand the glory of the gospel and what we've been saved from. Jesus talked about hell more than he talked about heaven. What are all the best-selling books about? People go to heaven. Oh, we like that. Surveys have been done. Do you believe in hell? No. But then surveys are done. Do you believe in heaven? Oh, yeah. Huge numbers. Why? Because we like that. Oh, he's in a better place now. God needed him. And it's our own mindset that makes us feel better. And this is why you need to meditate on Revelation 14, 11 and say, God, please help me to believe this because I, I really, truly don't. I really, truly don't. I'm looking at things from my own reasoning. Save me from myself. Verse 12, Revelation 14. Here's a call for the endurance of the saints, those who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. And I heard a voice from heaven saying, write this. 
Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Blessed indeed, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors. That word labors means hard, difficult, and exhausting toil. That they may rest from their labors, for their deeds follow them. Remember where we were talking about last week? They follow the lamb wherever he goes. When you follow the lamb wherever he goes, deeds are going to follow you. Now, here you go. Here's some more medicine, okay? We have Christians that have zero deeds that follow them. Like, hey, where are you serving, right? No, Jesus said, top priority of the kingdom is what? Matthew 6, 33, right? Seek the kingdom what? I ain't got no time to serve. Are you following the lamb? Like, you can't serve anywhere? And, and again, this goes back to a gospel that's all about me because the world system is really, it's, it's, it's all about us and how could we feel better. And this gospel is deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. And so when you're following Jesus, there's certain deeds that should follow. And we, listen, listen, in, in, in two weeks on the 21st, I think it is, we're going back to two services. Last year, we, we, we couldn't have children's church for the 11 o'clock service because... Nobody wants to to serve. Now, there's some of you, but listen. If Bowdoin Church is your home, it's your home, serve. And this is how bad it is in our nation right now, American Christianity. Back in the day, when I went to Sunday school, right, I would go, and there's a lady, Mrs. Reed, and every single week she was there. We, here's what we do right now in our church, right? Because we're, we're in such a watered-down Christianity. Will you serve once a month? Just once a month. Do you know that's 12 times a year? Do you know that you're never going to develop a deep relationship with a, ch- a child when you see them once a month for an hour, depending on how long I go, an hour and 30 minutes? But listen, I understand that because when Bill Hobbs told me, hey, Chris, you got to come every Thursday night because that's when Bill is. And so you've got to show up because you can't build relationship with these kids. I had to walk away and I had to pray and say, okay, God, am I ready to deny myself every Thursday night and commit to a year? And this is what disciples do. And when I did that, I found my wife at Urban Youth Impact. And that's why some of you are single. That's another joke. Got to rewind that too, Kevin. Man, what if, what if we get some real gangster children's church workers that say, you know what, I'm going to serve every week at the 9 o'clock, and then I'll go to the 11 o'clock and worship Jesus because I'm committed. I'm ready to ride and die. And maybe, just maybe this year, we can have children get ministered to at the 11 o'clock hour. Chris, you don't want to come like that. Anyway. 
We're also about to start trail life, which is kind of like Christian Boy Scouts, and American Heritage Girls for the girls. And we need people that will say, man, I'm in. I want to serve. I want to lay my life down for these kids. But we have Christians who have zero deeds. There's no hard, difficult, exhausting toil because their life is for themselves. And that's just the sad reality of our Western Christian church. And again, I say this all in love because you might not be called to children's church. You may be called to mentor a child at Urban Youth. Or you may be called to something else. But man, Christians, we serve. When Jesus washed the twelve's feet, he said, go and do the same. If I, your Lord and your teacher, have washed your feet, follow my example. But we pray this prayer and we don't want to follow an example. We don't want to, we don't want to get out of our life and lay down our life for somebody else. And this is why Jesus says, no greater love is anyone than this. And when you lay down your life for your what? Friends. And you are my friends if you do what I command. Verse 14. And I looked and behold a white cloud and seated on the cloud was one like the son of man with a golden crown on his head. And a sharp sickle. So this is Jesus coming. He's going to judge. And another angel came out of the temple calling with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud. Put in your sickle and reap for the hour to reap has come. For the harvest of the earth is fully ripe. So he who sat on the cloud swung his sickle across the earth and the earth was reaped. This is what you're about to see in Revelation 15 through the, the, the first half of 19, where the bold judgments are going to be poured out. And then this next passage, 17 through 20, this is going to be the battle of Armageddon. And for sake of time, let's just read through it. Then another angel came out of the temple of heaven. He too had a sharp sickle. And another angel came out of the altar. And the angel who had authority over the fire, he called out with the voice to the one who had a sharp sickle, put your sickle in, gather the clusters of the vine of the earth, for its grapes are ripe. So the angel swung his sickle across the earth and gathered the grape harvest of the earth and threw it into the great wine press of the wrath of God. A uh, wine press was these heavy stones that would roll over grapes to squash them completely so that all the juice could be retained. And so God is saying that this is going to happen at the end of the age. Verse 20, and the winepress was trodden outside the city and the blood flowed from the winepress as high as a horse's bridle, which is about four feet, and 1,600 stadia, which is about 200 miles. God is describing in deep and in, in gory detail the wrath of the battle of Armageddon it's going to be blood everywhere, and people are just going to be splattered. It's not really going to be a battle. It's going to be a game over where the judgment and the justice of God is coming. 
I want you guys to turn to Psalm 19. Psalm 19. And I just kind of want to close with this. This is kind of what God's put on my heart. Um, A few more minutes and we're done, I promise. First of all, I want to thank a lot of you that sent me happy 50th birthday encouragements. It brought me to tears, literally. My wife can testify. Just really, really encouraged my heart. And as I sat back and I just reflected over all that was said, there's one thing that I'm the most proud of. It's many of you said, Chris, the word, the word, the word, the word, the word. And you, I want you to know. God, I I want your word to be exalted. I don't ever want to bend off of your word. I want to preach and proclaim your word, and I don't want to care what people think. I'm going to say it. And just like this message today, guys, this is God's word. Hell is Jesus' word. Psalm 19, verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect at reviving the soul. Man, does your soul need revived? Get in the word. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. I am so simple, but God's word has the ability to make one wise. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More are they to be desired than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than the honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned. Oh, so good to get this warning today, guys. And keeping them, there's great reward. Verse 12, and I want you to highlight this. Who can discern his errors? See, you and I can't discern our errors apart from the word of God because we will try to justify our own way. Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep Back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Understand this, depart, apart from the word of God, you cannot know your own sin, you cannot know your own depravity, and God's word will cause you to be able to come into a true understanding of what you're really walking in. Verse 13, then I shall be blameless and innocent of transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Many of our thoughts are not acceptable. But God's word will help them be acceptable because a lot of times we are trying to judge things by the standard of the world and not the standard of the word. Verse 14. 
I want you to turn back to Psalm 16 too, please. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord and I have no good apart from you. You want to highlight that. I have no good apart from you. If Christians would really believe this, their life would be transformed. There is nothing good that you are bringing to the table. You and I are wretched through and through, and we are not good apart from the Lord. This is why Jesus said in in Matthew chapter 7, you parents who are evil know how to give what? Good gifts. We look at other parents and say, I'm a good parent because I know how to give good gifts. No, sometimes even that goodness in our heart is really not good. It's evil. You want your kids to go to this college and that college because it's a sense of pride for you. You want them to play sports because you failed your whole life and you want to live your life through them. Without the word of God, our motives can be completely corrupt. Without the Holy Spirit of God coming upon our corrupt heart, we cannot parent. And even in the goodness of our parenting, it can be completely evil. I tell a, ju- I tell a story one time of how I was trying to impress a girl that I was driving in an urban youth van, and it wasn't from God. And I saw this homeless guy in a wheelchair trying to make it across 45th. And I'm thinking to myself, in my evil heart, that guy ain't going to make it. And then I'm like, whoa, I'm trying to impress her. She's in the back. So I got out. I pushed the guy across the street in the wheelchair. Christian, serving, Jesus, motive completely corrupt, trying to impress a girl, not because of the love of God. We don't know how wicked we are apart from Christ. We have no idea. And that's why we say things, how can a loving God do this? We have no idea how wicked we are. I want you to turn to 1 Kings 11, please. And this is the last place, and I know I'm over. It's just so important. It's so important. Worship team, you can come forward, please. When a person says, how could a loving God send someone to hell? They don't understand how evil mankind is because they don't believe Psalm 2. I have no good thing apart from you, God. I have no good thing apart from you. They don't understand. They're not looking at it from God's mindset. So 1 Kings eleven six 6, it says this. So Solomon did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And you want to highlight that he did what was evil. Solomon, evil, and he did not wholly follow the Lord. You want to highlight that too, as David, his father, had done. Other translation says he did not completely follow Yahweh. He did not fully follow the Lord. New living or new light translation. Solomon refused to follow the Lord completely. So here's a definition for you. You are evil if you refuse to follow the Lord completely. What? Yeah, yeah, listen. God, the righteous judge, says to you and me, this is why Jesus says apart from him you can do nothing. You can't even do good apart from his Holy Spirit. 
Some of you are going to sign up to be that soldier. Oh, I, 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 I serve every week in children's church at 9 o'clock, and, uh, and your motive is corrupt, and it's completely evil. And Jesus says, you parents who are evil know how to give good gifts. Evil people can do good things. Evil is not following the Lord fully. That is evil in God's eyes. And listen, this is why, this is why people deserve the wrath of God. Because their motives of why they've been doing what they've been doing will be laid bare one day and it will be exposed that they were rebellious and I do not want you, Jesus. I want to do what I want to do. Evil occurs 486 times in the Bible. And Jesus used it many times to describe mankind. Let me end with this. And this is the judgment, and this is Jesus. We all know John 3.16, right? But we don't keep reading. Why? Because we're evil. We're evil. This is the judgment. Light is coming to the world, but people love darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. People that do not come to Jesus, their works are evil. Jesus said that, not me. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Let's pray. Father, first of all, we just say thank you for saving a wretch like me. God, I just pray for us now as we focus our gaze upon you and worship you. That your Holy Spirit would just be poured out in such a way that we would truly, truly be convinced of our wretchedness apart from you. Because your word declares all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. May we really truly believe that we deserve wrath. That we're completely depraved. Wicked in heart. Rebellious to the core. And may we be convinced that we deserve hell. And as that conviction comes... May by your grace you cause us to look up to the cross. To where we glory. Because you, you did that for us. You did that for me. When I didn't want you in my life, you died for me. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 5.8 God, I pray that over this church. That we would be a people convinced we are deserving of hell we have nothing good apart from you to offer
would turn our hearts completely to you, surrendering and worshiping and asking for your grace, your grace to obey the gospel, your grace to love you more than we love ourselves, your grace to overcome sin and wickedness, your grace to be poured out on our lives. Oh, precious Lamb of God, we love you. May our lives be lives of worship as we bow down to you and follow you, Jesus, wherever you go. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks for visiting us today. Make sure to check us out online at www.bowdownchurch.com. Thank you.